0: Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, come on. No need for a standing ovation. You're too kind. You're too kind. I'm so flattered. Okay, everybody sit down now. Everybody sit down and shut up, okay? Sit down and shut up. We have a show to do. Thank you. I'm a modern man, and I'm an overthinker. An understated wine-tasting binge drinker. I listen to lo-fi beats on a high-speed Wi-Fi internet because I want my enlightenment now like an impatient Steven Pinker. I had a date with Destiny, but she stood me up, which is fine because I heard she looks nothing like her pictures. I'm a down-to-earth transcendental meditator, a mediocre mid-level mediator, and an overindulgent word salad spewing medium-rare meat eater. But I don't want no beef, because I strive to exude the aura of a diplomatic peacekeeper or, say, a brachiosaurus leaf eater who is deathly afraid of meteors. My coffee is ethically sourced, even if it's dark and bitter, and it sometimes makes me anxious, especially if I drink more than a second cup, which is not a fair trade in my experience. I'm an upstanding trip-sitter, a lackluster babysitter, a sore loser, and a laid-back winner, and I only really ever tweet when I'm laying back, sitting on the shitter, doom-scrolling twitter after a hard-earned chicken dinner. I'm a light-hearted dark knight, a sweetheart with an addiction to sweet tarts, and I make sweet art about science fiction with gooder than average addiction. I play with cards but not with hearts, I'm a sociable yet solitary solitaire player with a stone-cold poker face and a spades ace in a hole somewhere in the Nevada desert. I'm a post-apocalyptic, post-punk, glam rock climbing social climber with calloused hands and a trusty Pomodoro timer, opposed to social hierarchies but beset with the idea that chaos is a ladder. I use my little finger more than my middle finger and sometimes have trouble making points unlike my index finger, but I'm quick on my feet and perpetually on my toes unless I'm lying in bed with some bare naked ladies like Brian Wilson did. Nevertheless, I'm a masterful masturbator, and because Destiny stood me up today I'll probably rub one out later while eating some McCain tasty taters and some half baked Ben and Jerry ice cream that I got from my lactose intolerant neighbor. I'm fashion forward but backpedaling. a bike rack leaning moderate apolitical, but I can sway in the morning, afternoon or evening like Michael Buble on a good day, teetering on the pinnacle of cynical. The process is actually quite cyclical, and at the apexes of my ego trips, the grandiosity of my self-confidence is biblical. I'm a virtue signaling lane changer, a non-computer programming savvy game changer, becoming increasingly indifferent to the troubles of the world like Albert Camus Stranger, more concerned about my war with myself like Kramer vs. Kramer. I'm a modern man, and like an excessively verbose Irish cranberry from the 90s, I'm really letting this intro linger. That means I'm really dragging this out, and I really don't have to. Oh, and did I mention that I'm an overthinker? Rest in peace, George Carlin. <laughs> Hi, my
1: name is Zachary Haynes, and I am an overthinker. And uh, I often think about why I'm not naked on the beach eating fruit somewhere. Ooh, yeah.
0: I, I wish we could all just, just do that.
1: Yeah, like, why aren't we on a beach right now? Somewhere warm. I don't know where you are. I know where I am. I'm on the East Coast. I'm up near Washington, D.C. Right, I'm more north. Okay, it, it's actually like the first like really nice day here. It's, it was like sixty five today, and I have the windows open and stuff. But still, nonetheless, I still want to be somewhere naked on a beach eating fruit. That's really it. That's what I think about when I'm at when I'm at my job.
0: That's what life should be
1: about. That's what it should be about. Because like I think about uh, I you know when i'm at work and i'm bored i let my mind wander about like some social constructs am i am like, out of all the giant rocks that are in space that can inhibit life i happen to be on the one that figured out that rent and taxes are more important than uh you know just living life living somewhere nice but that's who i am i am an overthinker
0: Yesterday, you said tomorrow, when are you going to do that thing that you've been putting off? Tomorrow isn't promised, so don't wait too long. One day leads into another, and before you know it, it's next year and yesterday's long gone. Time stops for no one, assuming it even exists, like, is it or isn't it a social construct? way this is your life and it's happening one moment at a time one event after another and you're either lost in your thoughts or in a state of default mode network a drill surrounded by others like you unconsciously passing through the infinite fabric of reality in a world brimming with possibilities and potential the majority of which go unseen unfulfilled unexamined and unlived All I see are zombies trashing all around me Raving about some meme or real or TikTok or the news Reinforcing the idea that we live in a boring old techno-dystopia Huxley and Orwell are rolling like e-balls in their graves Their ambitions and dreams burdened by myopia What are you going to do that thing you've been putting off, huh? going to pursue what your heart wants, what you feel you've been put on this planet to do, this spinning rock bring around some giant flaming red hot cheeto of a sun, don't wait too long, mental worry right, yesterday you said tomorrow, Yesterday you said tomorrow. Yesterday you said tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow is here. Just do it. Just do it. Oh, uh, tomorrow is here. Wow, I feel it. like Tony Robbins. Well, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, yeah, maybe you know with, with automation and like artificial intelligence changing the workforce maybe it'll put us all out of our jobs and maybe that's just what life is going to be in in the future everybody just sitting naked on the beach or maybe not naked necessarily maybe you know maybe not
1: but but you know wearing something that is uh that's light and flowy you know just being somewhere nice it's like we don't have to work we don't have to worry about money It, it i think about these social constructs quite a bit not not a lot but when i do i go deep into these thoughts like I think about like we are on a giant rock floating in space, flying thousands and millions of miles per hour, rotating around a flaming ball of gas. And we decided the best thing we could do of ourselves. It's like, hey, what's just make something up like money and pretend it means something. Right. Because it really doesn't mean anything. Like it, it, it's just a, it's a piece of paper or it, it's a coin made out of metal from the earth. Is that really, like, what it was intended to be?
0: Could you elaborate on what you mean by social constructs?
1: For for me, a social constructs is, like, things that, like, we have developed in a society. So, like, we have these constructs going around where it's, like, you know, one example or one, I guess, traditional social construct was that the man would go be the breadwinner, make the money, and come home, and the wife would stay home and cook. But now we're challenging that social structure and uh, patriarchy and stuff like that by now having a lot of women in the workforce, and rightfully so. And that's ch- it's a new social construct challenging an old one, so there's a bit of a power dynamic. But I, gu- I guess the way I, like, I view social structures is like... If we didn't have this thing, would it still even matter? I guess it's, like, the bottom line there.
0: Right. Like, it pertains to the societal conventions that rule our, our lives, pretty much, right? Is that what you're, what you're saying?
1: Yeah. Like, you know, you need air to breathe. That's not a social construct. Like, but, like, like, we don't technically need money. Like, if we just... If money had no value, there would be no point. Or if we all just decided we're not going to use money anymore. We're just going to make our own stuff or like live off the land. Or like I said, maybe we just go move down to a tropical beach and just start eating fruit every day.
0: To tie back to one of the lines in my intro, hierarchies in society are a form of social construct then, right? Yeah. By that definition. Yeah, definitely because you you said you wanted to go to a like you wanted to sit naked or lie naked on a, on a beach so I'm assuming it's a it's a nude beach but like would you say that like banning uh women from going topless like you know the free the nipple movement is, is that a social construct
1: well i think like the uh, the idea of like that social construct in that specific example it's like is like uh sexualizing uh the woman's body is definitely like a social construct too like sexuality like the the sex drive is real. The sexuality that comes with it, what we define as sexuality, are social constructs as well. Like those those are things that have labels and stuff. They may not be big ones, but they do matter quite a bit. But I, and just in general. Like the this idea that like we have to dress up, wear a suit, go to work every day, work nine to five Monday through Friday until we're too old to work is is a huge social construct. Because what if like we find an alien species and they have none of these things? They're just like, hey, we're smart and we're capable. So we just travel space just because we can and we don't have any money or anything like that's something I think about, too, is like space. I'm like, um, Is like, are we the first of an intelligent species? Are we the last of an intelligent species? Are we somewhere in between? Are we too far out? Are we like, maybe they're just right under our nose or stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So when I'm bored at work and I'm on the shitter, like you said in your intro, it's like I'm on Twitter, but also thinking about things. It's like, man, I would I would love to go travel space right now. I could be doing so much. Just fly around space.
0: Right. You mentioned like an alien species might not even have any sense or, or semblance of of money or economic system that they operate by. If we were to do away with the economy entirely, would society break down?
1: I guess uh, the way to answer that is that it's so deeply ingrained while like you're going back. Tens of thousands of years at this point, it is so deeply ingrained into our minds and into the world around us that, yeah, if we did take out the concept of money, things would probably just start collapsing left and right, like literally would start collapsing. Like we're seeing that right now with big banks in the U.S. It's like things are starting to collapse. So the government's stepping in and stuff like that. But I'm just saying in like a what if scenario where it's like we didn't give monetary value to anything. So like we never thought gold was that important or we didn't think diamonds were that important or we didn't think that dollar bills mattered that much that we would have a completely different society there. Like it, we, it, it's almost unimaginable to a degree. Like you can imagine not using money and bartering and stuff, but you know, uh, and then the terms of monetary value is like a social construct because like we give things value based on what we think they're worth, which is just it ties in all together into this social construct of monetary value. So like two you can show two people like, uh, a similar item so let's just say there's like a collector's like sports jersey or whatever w- one person might be head over heels to like you know try and get it and the other person might be like well i don't see the value in it because it doesn't have value to me
0: yeah because well i mean for me personally again like you said it's it is it is deeply ingrained in in me and in in society that we need money we need to work to get money and and we need money to survive and I personally don't feel like I would have a problem with like have having uh, money or like an economy, but I I really personally don't like the idea of some people for a lot of people in society, work is a necessity and it's pretty much the means of survival. Otherwise you'd be out on the street. Otherwise you can't feed yourself. And the way that society is, is set up, why does it have to be that way? Why can't we just, you know, like have some kind of. I don't know. Like it's kind of like going into UBI a little bit. Yeah, it's just so weird how if uh, your your average nine to five worker just decides to stop going to work, then they're literally putting their their future and their life in danger, and even their their family mm-hmm. if, if they're the financial support. I guess in terms of of social constructs, uh, would you say that societal expectations around, say, like, oh, uh, you got to go to school, you got to go to college, you got to do this all by, you know, age 20 or 18 or 25. I, I, I think a lot about societally imposed expectations and and like the timelines that society seems to impose onto us. That's all social
1: constructs as well. Right. Yeah, definitely. Like you don't think about it because it's just part of the norm. Like you don't overthink those things where it's just like you just go with it because that's what you've been told your entire life where it's like you got to graduate high school and then you got to go to college. Then you got to get a really good job and then you got to marry someone and then you got to have a family. So that way the next generation could repeat. And you know, rinse and repeat at that point, and then you just get too old to work, so you retire. And then when you retire, you know that's expected towards the end of your life. And then at that point, you're just expected to just die off. And then the process continues. So yeah. there's definitely like a big thing about like a lot of like these social norm, these social constructs being normal, but when you actually break it down and stuff. A lot of these are not normal ideas. Like, is it really fair to expect an 18 year old to know what they want to do for the rest of their lives? Because if you actually talk with people, there's a lot of people who go to college. They either they graduate or they change majors halfway through, and then they got to keep going or people drop out or people graduate college. And then they realize that they wasted so many years getting that degree and then they go back to school halfway through to life just to like get into the field that they wanted to. But I don't think it's always been fair. Some of these are not fair at all. Like, are you really, is it really a good idea to expect an 18 year old to know what they want to do right then and there? Like, and they're, they're dealing with a lot of stuff too. So it just, in a way, it feels like society just pressures you into continuing the cycle.
0: Yeah. At, at 18 years old, I'm sure like, uh... You graduate high school and I feel like high school is its own world and nobody really has an, a, a, uh, an established or solidified sense of, of identity in high school. And it's almost like your your identity is socially constructed by the, the social norms within a high school or with the, like the social expectations within a high school. And then, you know, that's why people group up into different cliques or, or social groups. But also when I graduated high school, I went straight to university simply because I thought, you know, this is what I have to do. And if I take like a gap year or or take some time to try to, I guess, do something else and go to university once I have a more solidified concept of what I want to pursue, I, I feel like that you know, I'd be wasting time. And uh, because a lot of people, again, like uh, maybe in their early 20s are expected to have a career or, you know, once they graduate university. But even that's like what you you said does speak to my university experience because I changed my minor midway through. I was taking stats as a minor because I thought I was going to go into research. I was going to take a master's and then maybe eventually a PhD. Um, And I actually went into university thinking that I might, I might try I was like flirting with the idea of med school, which a lot of people, you know, a lot of student university students do, and they they identify themselves as like pre-med. But I had I I was thinking that like, you know, being a doctor is so glamorized and idealized. There's so much prestige attached to that. And and same goes for like lawyers and, and other highly paying jobs that are considered important and essential to society. But um, yeah, I mean I, I realized halfway through that like I hate I, I don't like numbers. I, I'm more like I'm more of a words guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a writer and uh, that's why I decided to, to switch to creative writing as my minor and uh, also to take less classes uh, around my second or third year just for my own mental health because I, I did a full course load, like five courses in, in my first year of university and that was so tough mm-hmm. on my mental health. It took a lot out of me. And that's a a lot for
1: a mind that's still developing at that point. Because your mind doesn't finish developing until it's like 24, 25, 26. Like that age range. And that's a lot to put on a mind that's like still trying, you know, for a person that's still developing and still figuring out their identity and stuff. And it's just, that's a lot. Like we have this self-imposed timetable for ourselves like you got to go to college and then you got to graduate but if you graduate too late jobs won't want you because you're not a good candidate because you're too old and yada 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 and it it's just really not a fair a fair thing to impose on yourself because like i was I applied for this university it was supposed to be my dream university then i could not afford to go and then had to drop out and i thought my timetable was just going to be completely ruined and i thought I thought you know I was gonna be stuck working dead end job dead end job like that's a fear that I really had at 18 years old. But in all honesty, I I didn't really even know what I wanted to do, so I would have just been wasting my time. And that that's a thing too that you can't get back is time. I could always make money back. I could always heal myself back if I get hurt or something. But I can't get that time back that I would have been just wasting there. So I I, I think like you know, for college and stuff like that it was like, there's a lot of pressure to succeed and do well uh, for for most
0: people who go to college and stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, because time, like you said, time doesn't stop, it, it just keeps going. And it's almost like we we have to keep up with it. Because otherwise, it's it's almost as if the world is going to leave us behind if we, you know, mm-hmm. you know, sit on our asses for too long. And that's something that that I was thinking about was if I take a gap year, I might not even want to go to university. Yeah. You know, like, uh, cause I'd, I'd be away from education for too long. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to think about time and, and also, uh, something we, we talked about prior to, to recording was like when is the right time to pursue like your destiny and like destiny is such a, a, a like loaded word with, with so much gravitas and, and people sometimes i think misunderstand what it means as if uh it implies like some kind of predestination and it also uh implies that you know maybe we don't even have free will so you know like are we do we just surrender to to what is and you know let life happen to us or do we meet it halfway like i said like in the in the intro like a date with destiny is a is a expression that um i overthink about Uh, Like, to what extent do we have to pursue our own destinies? And to what extent does it just happen, you know?
1: Yeah, like, uh, I feel like time is like a really important thing, too. But like, I know some people are like saying that time is a social construct. And I'm like, that's not true, because time continues on no matter what. It is the one thing that will continue to progress forward no matter what. It runs everything over. Schedules are social constructs. Which I think is a very important thing. Cause like things things just happen over time. Like uh planets will die off, suns burn up, and eventually you will die. That's the inevitability. It's like everything comes to an end at some point. But yeah, when you talk about destiny and stuff, that's already a pre-written ending. But I guess, the, I guess the way to kind of counter that is like... Destiny is only what you make of it. And it's hard to predict the, the future. It's so hard to do that. And there are some people who get things right. Which is like not easy to do at all. But they're not always consistently right about stuff. So I think destiny is what you, you make of it. So if you're given a prophecy... You know, it is what you make of it. So like if you were given a prophecy... Uh, I'm trying to think of an example. If you're given a prophecy that you're going to slay some like great evil in the future, but only if you complete a trial or something like, how much of that it, are you going to let determine your life? Like, you can, if you feel like that's your destiny, then go for it. But there's nothing stopping you from not doing it too and not pursuing that preset destiny. So, like, I feel like it's it's like it's like 50 50 sometimes it's like you got to meet it halfway in order to make things happen especially if you want it and there's always like predetermining factors that could always go against you like there could be like a social standing there could be financial restraints there could be a bunch of other issues that could be going against you right but if you know what you want then why what is stopping you because um Because honestly, uh, there's always an excuse. People could fall back on an excuse. Like, like, I don't have the money, or I don't have the time, or I'm not feeling up to it, or I'm too busy with X, Y, and Z. And it's fine. Those things are acceptable. If they're important to you, they're acceptable. But eventually, you're going to hit a point where you don't have any excuses. And then at that point, you got to ask yourself, it's like, what else do I have left to lose and what more do I have to prove not only to maybe people around me, but to myself. So when I, when I think about pursuing dreams and stuff, I, I really think I'm like, well, the time is now because time is only moving forward. And if you dwell about it from the past perspective, like, Oh, I should have done this. Or if you're afraid of that, then you should just go for it now. Like there, there is no point. And like I said before, we are on a giant floating rock in space, millions of miles per hour. Something could wipe us out in an instant, and none of it would have mattered. So what? After hearing that, I'm like, Are you really going to be intimidated to pursue your dreams or what you see yourself or what you see as your destiny?
0: Right. I have like I have several thoughts about that. Um, for one, like the things that people like the, i guess for lack of a better word like the excuses people make to not pursue something that they feel deep down maybe their heart really wants uh is like having a fixed mindset and thinking um like say you want to pursue stand-up comedy and you think oh i'm not funny enough or like i'm not good enough or you know what i mean or uh like if they they have a job in mind when they think it's, it's just too difficult and they're not up for the challenge but that's just something that they're imposing on themselves, but also assuming that they are capable of that thing, but they just don't want to do it or like pursue it because it's it's too difficult or they're, they're afraid of failure. And that's another big thing that it stops a lot of people in their tracks from, you know, going on a date with Destiny. Yeah. For me personally, I, I found myself thinking a lot about that scene in Inception. Uh, I think it was like, it was in the third act uh where leonardo dicaprio's character is is in that like the limbo state you've seen inception right yeah uh like sato the, the character sato is is an old man and the quote is is something like do you really want to be well I'll, I'll just paraphrase it do you really want to be like maybe facing the end of your life looking back uh retrospectively and and, and being filled with regret because you didn't do what you wanted to do. And, and that's something that I found uh, has been driving me quite a bit uh, over the past couple of years is that I don't want to be, I don't know, 99 years old or, or maybe life extension happens and, and I'm like way into my hundreds. And I'm thinking, wow, I had so much time. Like I even had like a life extension cause, cause they, they developed that technology or, you know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and, and I, I didn't pursue my dreams and, and that would feel like the worst feeling i can ever imagine because there's no reversing it there's no you know you'll get to go again uh i mean assuming that that idea of tr- eternal return the idea that we just live this th- these lives over and over again kind of like uh like uh, this the universe just like experiences its own like rebirth or like reincarnation cycle but it just seems like it's gonna, the worst feeling and then i would just I don't know. I'd feel so powerless because then if you're, if you're on your deathbed, there's nothing you can do. You know what I mean? Like everything that you could have done is, is completely out of, out of like reach now. It's not even something that you could really do anything about. And yeah, I just, I just don't want to be filled with regret and filled with, I, I guess like imagined scenarios of what could have happened if I did this differently or, or, chosen to do this but yeah it, it ties into the idea of uh divine timing maybe not everyone's gonna vibe with with this kind of idea but there is the idea of divine timing that everything happens when it's supposed to and it's also kind of like implying that the universe again it is uh is conscious and like works in your favor like in, in a way that ease your growth in, in like the best way possible but yeah i mean not everyone's gonna gonna vibe with that especially not people who are really um like rationalistic or or like empirical or scientifically minded like steven pinker who i mentioned in the intro yeah
1: that that there's a lot to unpack there uh i i think like the the first thing is like i don't like the idea that uh, you just have one life and then you die and then that's it and it's just a black void forever because we really don't know all the secrets of the universe you know like we don't we don't know the truth about that and that's something we have to learn when the time comes and I think that's the only true destiny we have it's like when you die you may learn more about the universe and life and death itself but this idea of being afraid of failure and being afraid of things that could happen. I, this is what I've been going with. It's like, I'm afraid to fail, but I know if I'm failing, it means I'm trying and therefore I'm trying to get better. And that's something you kind of have to remember. Cause like, you got to take a first step at some point, like you can't just, let your doubts about yourself continue to dwell because there are people like that who listen to the doubts, but not listen to their heart into their mind. Like the doubts will tell you things that sound conveniently, um, that just sound convenient in a way where it's like, it's easy to doubt yourself. It's harder to believe in yourself, but when you believe in yourself and your ideas and what you want to do with yourself, then that can override the doubts. Sure. Um, you know, it, it's it's not great to fail. But like I said, if you're not failing, you're not trying. And that's kind of a big thing, too. It's like you need to try, and you're either going to succeed or you're going to fail. But if you're failing, it's not the end of the world. And if you're succeeding, great. Good for you. Keep pushing. But everybody everybody talks about their success stories and like, how did they get there? Or like, you know, it's like, what is it like being on the top of the mountain? Nobody asks about what the journey up is. And that's something I've always been fascinated too. Of like, you know, I'll watch interviews. I'll listen to podcasts of like comedians and actors and um, other people. I aspire to as well, who, you know, they don't always talk about success. They always talk. Sometimes they talk about failure. I know, with uh, my friends and family, and like I sometimes I would fail a lot. There would be some weeks where I'm doing stand up comedy and I bomb every single time. Rather, it's an open mic or a show, and I'm like, "Man, am I really doing this right?" But then I still remember to believe in myself. It's like, "But you're doing what you want to do," which can help override right. those failures where it's like you're still doing what you want to do. You're still living your life, and. And the other thing, too, is that tomorrow's not really guaranteed. You talk about life extension and stuff, which is great. But if I if I'm dead tomorrow, that really doesn't do me any favors. Now, does it
0: (laughs) right? There's always like, like, yeah, like the 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 universe is is very chaotic and chaotic. And well, I mean, accidents happen and, you know, life can be cut short at any moment. And and that's something to think about, too. and, And relates to the idea of like the phrase memento mori. Like remember you will die but i guess like the like that 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 phrase is so general it's just like hey yeah it's gonna happen someday but the i guess the 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 catch is you don't know when right like and i kind of like some people want to know when and
1: where and how they're gonna die i don't like that's that is up to the universe to decide at this point honestly i'm like when it's my time it will be my time sure like there might be some regrets in there but at least then if i if i died i could be like wow i did everything i possibly could up until this point when i got stopped completely in my tracks cuz now i'm dead and none of that really right. matters so i think that's a mentality too where people are afraid to die and i'm like i get it it's scary it's scary not knowing but i'm i'm going to be okay with everything i've done with my life like I am okay with how everything's played out. There will be some regrets. I think everybody has regrets. It's okay to have those. But it's important to remember that it's like if you're scared about failures and regrets, then start writing the wrongs and start pursuing your dream. So you could write so you can, you know, kind of write the ship. Right. And then when you get when you get to your when you get to your end, then you could be like, I did everything I possibly could. And nobody could tell me otherwise. Versus, I wish I did all the things I wanted to do, which is something I realized when when I moved away from home uh, a few years a couple years ago. Is like I was just sitting around, and I'm like, I'm not really doing anything with my life. I'm in a new city, and I can actually learn how to, you know, be myself and find my real self and who that person is in the mirror that I'm staring at. Am like, am I being my real? self so, or am i just putting on a front for society like and for my friends and family and stuff like that because i think it's more important to live the truth than it is to just pretend to lie
0: yeah I, I guess uh like like the fear of failure is so closely tied to the fixed mindset and i actually like i'm sure a lot of people maybe even fear failure more than they fear death which is so strange to to say but I hope it's not too off the topic because i really like this this topic but I, I wanted to ask you about and talk to you about your experience pursuing stand-up comedy and uh you said you're, you're year in right like mm-hmm. you're one year in into stand-up and i guess to maybe tie it closer to to the current topic last time i checked your your instagram bio was uh trying just trying to make it to 30 <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> yeah I-, I wanted to ask you about that if you could like elaborate on that so i do i do stand-up
1: comedy <laughs> all right that that is uh, it's a fun bio so i uh i live down near washington dc uh i moved down here a couple years ago and the reason why i wrote that but i actually wrote that at the start of 2020 i think or not the start of 2020 uh when the uh, the black lives matter protests were going on because there was so much stuff going on the pandemic uh social injustice and you know uh unsettled you know you know uh, civil unrest to a degree in some areas uh, there was a lot going on and we didn't even know much about the pandemic and the coronavirus back then as much as we do now and continue to learn right so i just wrote that and i was uh, i was 23 when i wrote that and i just turned i just i just turned 23 and like uh i turned 23 like at the end of 2019 and then with all this going on Ooh. i'm like honestly if i make it to 30 this is this is fine this is good like <laughs> i just wrote that and i write that as like kind of a reminder to myself that like you know you're just gonna have to keep moving forward if 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 the end comes so be it but i am just trying to make it to 30 cuz there's so many things going against me Uh, rather that stuff going on in my life or just stuff going on around me that could affect me. I just have to have a reminder. It's like, you know, you just got to keep pushing. That's all you could do at this point.
0: So it was more so a reference to, to how crazy the world has, has become at that, at that point, when you wrote that bio, not so much, not so much like a, a personal struggle that you're, you're dealing with. It was more so just like, Oh, this world is so crazy. And, uh. Yeah, tomorrow might not even happen.
1: Yeah, it's like, like, we don't know about tomorrow. And then all the stuff going on with the war in Ukraine and then Russia being aggressive and like all this like political stuff going on. It's like, I just want to make it to 30. I want to get to that age. (laughs) You know, like, I'm like, I would like to grow old and die that way. That's the ideal way, not nuclear holocaust. Like, that's not ideal. I, despite me being a fan of the fallout series i do not want to live that life there's a reason why i like playing the game is because i could turn it off and go into my bed and drink uh regular water and not worry about radiation you know
0: <laughs> you'd you play the virtual reality game of, of fallout but you wouldn't like to experience it firsthand no with five sense no i i
1: would i would not i would like to i i like uh, i like being comfy so i'm i'm a bit of a pompous ass that way <laughs> like i like my bed <laughs> I just, I have to admit yeah. it. I, I like my bad. I like to keep it that way, but yeah, you, you know, like I wrote that bio. It was kind of a reflection of uh, my mentality at that point. I'm like, I'm like, I'm just trying to make it till 30. That's all I want to do is just make it to 30. Like, can I make it right. to 30? And I think when I finally uh, hit 30, I might update it to 40 and just keep it going that well, way. I was just <laughs> going to say, like,
0: it's going to go decade by decade. And yeah. I think that's a good way to, to live life. Actually, like you, you're, you're almost like you're focusing in on like the upcoming decade and it's it's more so like something that it's easier to, to predict and, and it's easier to, to make plans because it's, it's hard to to make plans for your entire life like mm-hmm. I, again like with the university thing i've met people who know what they want to do know what career they want to pursue uh you know they know so many things about where they want to their life trajectory to go but it's just so hard to predict the, the future and uh like what the world is going to be like and, and for me personally i've actually found a lot of benefit from just cutting out the news entirely like i don't even watch the news anymore because it's, it's all doom and gloom and if it bleeds it leads and that's not even new that's up that's how the news has always been and i just found that my mental health has, has improved because I just cut that out. It's just noise to me and, and there's nothing I can do about it. Like some some, you know, like I don't know, some unfortunate thing happens on some part of the world. I can't do anything about that. It just makes me feel bad, you know. But I guess the only relevant news that I would really need to know is like if there there is gonna be a nuclear war like happening, you know, tomorrow. If 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 World War Three happens tomorrow, um I'd probably the news would probably reach me by the end of the week at least. And I could be like, Oh, okay. Well yeah. Or even like maybe i wouldn't want to know and uh you know if like if if my like if i just die because of like there's a huge explosion then i would be none the wiser you know so
1: yeah it's just uh i used to work in news and now i don't but news created such a burnout on the mental health especially like working and like i worked behind the scenes and did production stuff so like seeing that every day like five to six times a day was not was not ideal for for the mind but um yeah I, but I always stay in touch because I like to be aware of my surroundings and stuff, like even if it's bad. like I take it all in the good, the bad, the ugly, or in the wild right. and chaotic as well. I just take it all in because like that's important to me. It's like I gotta be aware of myself, but I also have to be aware of what's around me, what's going on. But
0: yeah. Um, I, I kind of want to ask you uh, about to what extent does do current events, does the cultural zeitgeist influence you and in your comedy? And, and how much do you feel comedians influence the, the cultural zeitgeist in turn? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like, I, I feel like if, if you're doing comedy, it's important to pay attention to what's going on around you on either in a local state or like national and international scale like staying, staying aware of what's going on you don't have to focus on it but staying aware of that stuff is important because you never know what might inspire you to to like write that's like a big thing um so i i feel like for my writing and stuff a lot of it comes from myself and from my life experiences like i'm i'm autistic so i write jokes about being autistic and stuff like that. I'm also from upstate New York, so I have a joke about that. I joke about myself a lot, but there is things in society that you can joke about. Like you just watch the news. Like there's a lot of comedians who have Florida man jokes. Oh yeah. Who aren't from Florida and they're like, "Have you seen the news from Florida? Did you see the Florida man video or whatever?" Some of those are topical though. Some of those have relevancy for a topic, and that's a good way to like kind of exercise your writing skills it's like find something that just happened that's wild people are talking about and find the angle for it and go for it but the other thing too is like some comedians can really influence the culture just just look at what happened last year at the oscars when chris rock got slapped by will smith that a huge influence oh yeah not just by not just for like uh for the Oscars and stuff It had a huge effect in the comedy world too Like that's one way It's like you know Chris Rock made a joke um, About Jada Pink and Smith And mm-hmm. her lack of hair And Will Smith slapped him over it So that influenced a lot too That one joke Had a, about a whole year Of people and audiences who were just like Well if Will Smith can slap Chris Rock I could certainly heckle this comedian It had a lot of that going on too So right. You know, like, it, it it was just wild to see how, like, one joke led into a slap, and then it leads into a bunch of other things. Because in this past year of comedy, I, <laughs> I started just before the slap happened, and then after the slap happened, uh, audience members got a lot more testy after that. And, like, the week following that, which is, like, really weird. And there's this one clip that was going around that was really popular of this uh, one comedian. She was getting heckled by this one drunk woman who then threw a full can of beer at her <laughs> ooh, and she, wow. ca- I think she caught it or she picked it up. Oh wow. And then she like opened it. It was an unopened tall and it was a tall boy too. It wasn't like one of those small cans. Oh wow.
0: How much beer was in the can? It
1: was one of the tall was boys. Was it beer like flying out? Like, ooh, like no, no, was no. It was an unopened beer. Oh, it was an unopened beer? Wow. It was an unopened beer. She threw it up there. The comedian got it. And she opened it and just started drinking as they were getting kicked out. And like wow. that, is, that is funny. But uh, that's also a thing, too, where it's like, mm, you know, like, audience members were getting really testy after that point. Wait,
0: hold on. She caught it? The comedian caught the beer? Like, in midair? I think she
1: either caught it she either caught it or like she stopped it or she just let it go by, but it
0: wasn't damaged or anything. It, it, I got to, I got to see the video. If she caught it in midair, that would be even more impressive. I can't remember, it, like, but <laughs> I
1: remember when it happened, like everybody that I knew in the scene
0: was talking about it. They're like, did you see this clip? Did you see what happened here? Wow. Cause like Ninja, like reflexes are required to catch a beer while you're doing a stand-up comedy show. Yeah. And, yeah. Wow. Look, she, so the, the woman was heckling and then she threw the beer.
1: Yeah, so like she was heckling her for like a like forty five seconds straight, and then the beer came wow. flying out of nowhere, and it was just wild. Like, cause like if you go to a comedy show, they tell you don't, you know, don't heckle the comics. Mm-hmm. You know, heckling's not allowed. If the comics ask you a question or they ask a general question, then you then you're allowed to participate. Like there's there's a rule and etiquette when it comes to comedy shows and stuff. But sometimes you get some really drunk people or some really angry or ticked off people who just have to have their peace. Like there's some people who get really pissed off and they're like, oh, I really didn't like that joke at all. But the other mm. thing too is not every joke's gonna be for everybody. But
0: yeah. Oh, that's a that's a whole can of worms I, I'd like to, to get yeah. into but yeah can we uh just take a step back and, and can you explain uh what is considered heckling because when I think of heckling I think of uh somebody who like used to like is maybe disagreeing or or expressing some kind of outrage or or even just trying to throw a comedian off of, of their performance but also I've I've seen comedians consider like like an audience member, maybe even just saying something, even even like an encouraging thing, as being heckling. Mm-hmm. How would you define it then?
1: I, I guess the best way to put heckling is like an unwanted comment during a during a show. So if you're performing and somebody just shout, shouts "boo," you suck. Get the fuck out of town. That's a heckle right there. Mm. But. Yeah but a heckle could also be like i didn't like that joke and you could say it as quietly as possible but that the comic hears that or the comedian hears that that's now a heckle and that's fair game because this is right. the thing this is the thing with comedians is that if you're getting heckled you can't be any meaner, meaner to the audience than they were to you so if if Ooh. somebody was like being a total dick, you could be kind of a dick. Right. If someone was being kind of a dick, you could be a little bit of a dick. Like that. That's kind of the the way to handle heckles at that point. You just
0: got a limbo under the bar that they. Yeah. Set. If yeah, they see exactly. something extremely exactly. mean, then it gives you the license to to be mean back. But
1: you can't. It does. Like if right. you choose to address it, some people don't like to address it. Some comics don't have the skills the deal with heck horse and stuff and that's okay some comics don't you know they don't like dealing with that stuff so they choose to ignore it and that's fine mm-hmm. i'm still learning how to do crowd work and stuff i've only been doing it for a year but i've right. gotten a lot better at crowd work and deal interacting with the audience and stuff which i think is yeah cool.
0: yeah I, i've watched some of your your crowd work videos on on your instagram and i'm, I'm really impressed by Just, just how well that you would respond to something an audience member would say to you. Would you consider uh, crowd work then a completely different skill?
1: Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of different ways to do comedy. Like, there's I don't want to say there's a right way and a wrong way, but there's there's different ways of doing comedy. Like, some comics just want to go up tell their jokes, get off stage. I like having some flexibility in my sets where if somebody does say something out, I want to be able to respond to that, especially if it's, like, funny or if they say something where I can make it funny. Then I want to be able to respond to that, which is, I guess, why I lean towards comics who do crowd work in their sets, too. Like, it's not planned, it's improvised, but it, it can lead to some really great clips, and I do have some great clips like that. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, yeah. like crowd work can be encouraged if you do want to get some crowd work going that can be encouraged and that's completely different from being heckled because being heckled is like it's unwanted Uh, you didn't necessarily consent to it and like I said a lot of clubs and stuff mm-hmm. would be like no heckling the comedians because you could get kicked out for that stuff especially if it's like really bad or really disruptive because now you're just ruining the show for everyone else so you think you're helping yeah. the show but you're not really helping the show, like especially if you're like being malicious or you're like, "Oh, I think this is funnier than what the comedian's gonna say next, and that's not true because if you were gonna be funnier than the comedian, you would be up on the stage and not the comic
0: yeah i have seen a lot of those those uh crowd work videos where it's almost like the the audience member is trying to upstage the comedian mm-hmm. um I-, I guess something that i I've read about like as a general rule of thumb when it comes to to crowd work in stand-up comedy is is don't be mean and uh like how do you navigate that or do you personally i guess like from what you said earlier i assume that you try not to like maybe insult or punch down but it's like because it's one thing to punch down on a on a celebrity or or a politician or public figure uh another thing to punch down on on an audience member right but like uh yeah how do you navigate that so,
1: like, there's there's a lot of ways that comedy can go right. There's a lot of ways that comedy can go wrong. Like I said before, if you're getting heckled, you can't be meaner to the audience member than they were meaner to you. Right. And I think that's really important to remember because like, if you're meaner to the audience member than they were meaner to you, now you just look like a giant asshole and you still have to perform wow. the rest of that time on stage with an audience that's no longer on your side at that point
0: right because yeah you don't want the crowd to turn against you like you kind of want to appear to be like the the bigger person in in that interaction but another thing though that kind of like throws a wrench in in this thinking i've seen routines by say like jimmy carr or, or andrew schultz who schultz who those are the ones that come to mind when i think about like they do excellent crowd work of course but a lot of the, the videos that are circulating around social media is like sometimes they say like extremely like savage things or like mm-hmm. mean things. But the, the crowd erupts in laughter anyway. But I guess it also plays into the persona that those two comedians in particular like to present to the audience. Like, yeah, what, what do you think of that? Because it kind of uh, contradicts the, the bar thing that we were talking about. So this is something that I learned is like with those
1: comedians, like the really big names, like you mentioned, Jimmy Carr, like, for example, the rest of the audience may be OK with Jimmy just absolutely destroying an audience member like that because they trust him to land the plane, basically. Mm. And what I mean by that is, I like, he like they're trusting him when they go to the show. They're trusting him to land these jokes, but they're also trusting him to land everything else that comes to. Like it, it's a performance; right. it's still a performance, and it, there's a bit of an art to it. And
0: and mm.
1: as I'm thinking a little, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Uh, but the thing is, is like the audience will trust someone that they know or they know or recognize to land the ship basically like so like right they will trust jimmy carr to tell a joke and then to like roast an audience member back people trust bill burr to be himself and to tell jokes but also like tell his truth and stuff
0: yeah uh, jeffrey ross make has made a career out of of roasting people and and roasting audience members (laughs) like yeah like I, i feel like yeah there's definitely an art to that and also there definitely should be some tact uh there's a tightrope between, like, what if you just say something completely offensive, and and yeah, the the, the crowd will turn against you. But absolutely. It's also interesting that we live in in a time, and maybe this speaks to the zeitgeist. But like, I see a lot of those videos on YouTube, or even uh, I don't I don't frequent TikTok, but I see a lot of like YouTube Shorts that are exported from TikTok, and the the title is like, stand-up comedian destroys audience member or heckler, and it's almost like the the destroys is is like capitalized. That seems to be a, a titling convention that's pretty popular on on youtube now and i kind of uh, blame ben shapiro for that because uh he has so many videos of ben shapiro debating college students and that's what the video is is ben shapiro destroys college student and makes them change their major or drop out or something like that, yeah, <laughs> I don't know.
1: that what that yeah. word is overused so much because like some of these are like oh comedian destroys audience member then you watch the clip and sometimes you get underwhelmed yeah when you watch some of those like some of them there's a lot of those clips out there where it's like oh Com- comedian destroys heckler or a comedian destroys audience member or something like that i think that word gets tossed yeah. around a little a little too much personally
0: and, and destroy is such a loaded yeah. connotation too you know like it's, it almost applies that they damaged or broke the audience member in some way like maybe their ego which was, was damaged or, or broken but like really like they just walked out of the out of the room after the show was over and they're completely fine they're not you know they're not they're they're not they weren't harmed at all but you know it's just so dramatic and uh yeah but such a buzzword now
1: yeah but like i guess i want to backtrack a little bit to what you're talking about Is like the the balancing act of trust between the Hmm. comedian and the audience member because like when audience members decide to show up to the show there is a certain level of trust that they're going in with, they're trusting that the person they took time out of their day for is going to be really funny, they trust that the venue is going to be a really good venue, they trust that the rest of the show, like, the host, and if there's an opener, or a guest spot, or a feature spot, they're hoping, they're trusting that, like, everything is going to be good, at the bare minimum like, nobody, nobody likes going to, like, a bad show, nobody not a lot of people like an okay show, like they don't want mediocre, they want good, there's a reason why they're paying money to go to these shows and stuff so there's like a level of trust between the comedians and the audience for the show and that's really important mm-hmm. to maintain because especially if you're not like a huge national name like you know let's just say chris rock for example or bill burr or mm-hmm. Ali Wong, or there's a couple more that i'm thinking of but the point being is that when you're doing comedy you have to remember that you have to keep the audience trust because they're gonna laugh at your jokes. That way mm-hmm. like they're they're gonna like laugh at your jokes, they're gonna gonna go along with everything you say. You could say something offensive, but if they trust you to land the plane and land the ship. So, to speak, then you yeah. can get away with it too, even if you're not directly in those communities that you might be affecting. Like, there's people who do trans jokes yeah. and stuff like that who aren't trans, but if they're yeah. really good about it, then nobody really cares. And that's kind of like, <laughs> that's kind of the funniest right. thing about it. It's like, if you land, if you, if you do it and you land the joke so well, nobody cares.
0: Right. Well, I mean, but that's, that's interesting that you, you say that because, um like look dave chappelle is is, like comes to mind when we were talking about trans jokes like i feel like those jokes were really well delivered but nonetheless i would say like it's they they were definitely offensive and and and, like did uh do affect like this group of people in society who are already facing so much uh like what would you call it Like, like oppression and and uh like stigma, and it's it's perpetuating that part of the culture where they're not accepted or they're not embraced, or or like yeah, it's even like it, it depends on the context or the content of the joke, right? And, and it's not really just how it's delivered, and but there there's also. The aspect of what the audience is comprised of like if maybe they're the kind of people who would find that funny and and how much what fraction of the audience would find that joke like distasteful and you know what i mean like uh completely out of line right
1: yeah like there's the thing about like jokes and writing and stuff like that is like you won't sometimes you won't know when you cross a line or when it's okay to cross the line, because if you're gonna cross the line, you better be really good at it, which is something that Dave Chappelle mm. has gotten away with for many years, and then recently, uh, it just you know it just wasn't hitting the same. Like there was a lot of people who were just like, you know, even if they weren't trans and were directly affected yeah. by the jokes, some of them were still like, ah, this is just not, this isn't good. And that's, like, mm-hmm. that's kind of the double-edged sword of doing offensive material. It's like, it has to be really good. Otherwise, you look like a giant asshole or a bigot or a racist and stuff like that. And that might not even be your intent. But if you think it's funny yeah, and you have that level of narcissism, then, you know, then you're just going to keep doing it. And that that's something that, like comics have to be aware of too it's like if you're going to cross a line be good at it be really good at it because if you don't then you look like a giant asshole at that point and you're you know like i yeah. said you you are now like a bigot or a racist or a xenophobe or whatever and and stuff yeah. like that so that that's kind of the thing with doing offensive materials like you're like you're gonna cross the line you don't know where the line is but when you do cross that line uh you got to be ready
0: yeah it's just because the trial and error type thing
1: and that's the point of doing open mics and stuff is to find where that line is before you just go oh, and right. do it before you go and do it like you need to find an environment where it's like i need to go try this out and make sure it's going to be funny but also to make sure i'm not just be blatant or being blatantly mm. um, being blunt about it like not blunt blatant about it my god i can't talk yeah right. no. <laughs> uh, I,
0: I think no i think there is like yeah there is there is a matter of like tastefulness but also i think people do respond to like subversiveness and and, edg- and edginess uh but just again i guess you just gotta just gotta have the tact and also i, I feel like a lot of that comes down to, to empathy and also uh like having a, a good understanding of, of what you're talking about I, I guess you know it seems to me that like you mentioned uh you're on the autism spectrum and you get a lot of material from that and it's almost like well not almost but it's it's like you you almost have a license to 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 speak about that because you have the lived experience of that and and dave chappelle isn't trans so like he doesn't understand the lived experience of being a trans person and it's almost like yeah it's like a uh i guess there's like uh there's like uh, an aspect of it that is like bullying or like what people say is like punching, punching down. Right. Yeah. That's,
1: that's a, that's a big term right there is punching down. Cause like normally in comedy, you don't want to punch down. You usually want to punch up on a group of people, especially if you're not part of that community per se, like you definitely want to be punching up. So, or at least like if you're going to punch down end with a punch up, about it too Mm. so that way like if you start down and then you punch up at the end it kind of it's supposed to cancel out it doesn't always land that way like there's comedians i know who are like they they're edgy they like to push the envelope Mm. because that's their brand that's their style they like doing that too and you know that's fine it's not always my taste like edgy comedy is not always my taste but i expect you to do it really well if you do it that that's my thing yeah but like I guess like going back to my example, it's like um there's not a lot of comics who are autistic on a big national scale. And like maybe in smaller scenes there are autistic comics and stuff, but some of the jokes that I'm doing is just from my own experiences and stuff, because autism is a spectrum and it affects everybody very differently. Mm -hmm. so you can't just assume but there are some you know there is some common ground with autistic people so like i'm trying to think about that stuff and like i have one joke about like sensory stuff and people really like that even if they're not autistic i remember i did a show once and a woman came up to me after and she's like i have a sensory disorder and i come i laugh so hard (laughs) at this bit you did about your sensory issues and i love it and it was great and i've had that comment I've had similar comments like that, mm. but I always get comments on that stuff for people who I remember this one lady, she DM'd me after a show, and she's like, she's like, I finally felt seen on stage Ooh, yeah. through a joke, which meant a lot. Like I could not emphasize yeah. how much that like that meant. Like, because like I was doing it just to like, you know, uh just do it because that's my experience, that's my life. It affects, you know, autism will affect me but how much i choose to let it is up to me of course there's going to be things i can't control like sensory issues or like the eye contact thing and stuff like that so i i think it's really cool
0: but like going hold on can you briefly can you briefly explain uh sensory issues
1: yeah so it's like so like sensory issues is like a number thing it affects your senses so like you can affect your so like issues with your sensory like for me like a uh, touch is a really big thing if i feel something and i don't like it my brain just kind of kind of freaks out a little bit there's like hey we don't like that there's some Ooh. clothing there's some material i can't have my clothes made out of because i don't like it it's a sensory issue oh wow yeah it is powerful too or like, like
0: it's too rough or like it's, it's too, too abrasive wh- to your skin yeah or something.
1: yeah and it doesn't help i have sensitive skin too. Like I there, there there's been plenty of shirts that I've been given or I bought and then I wear them out. I wear them for a bit and then I realize oh I don't like this at all. Like my brain is just telling me no we cannot right. wear this because it, it's affecting me too much.
0: So I guess so that, that kind of explains uh your enthusiasm for nude beaches then <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely i'm like i cannot have sen- i cannot have sensory issues if i don't have to wear clothes but that's just one example <laughs> at, at
0: but then me. again you get you get the sun like on your skin if it's too hot is this temperature is temperature also something that you are bothered by not not
1: really like a draft
0: in a room not maybe really.
1: so like like sensory issues like can like come and go too and stuff like that like there's certain foods i don't eat because of a texture thing like i don't like cook carrot Because, oh, wow, because I don't like the texture of it. Like I like I I like uh, a regular carrot that I will pull a carrot out of the ground and just wipe it off and just start eating it. Sometimes I might eat the dirt. I would rather do that than eat a cooked carrot. Like it's a very weird thing. Uh, but it also yeah, but, that's the only way
0: i eat carrots is cooked yes like some people carrots. are very
1: opposite about that too but it's yeah. like for me it's like a sensory thing because like like i said sensory affects your senses and stuff so like yeah. i don't another thing too is i don't like wearing jewelry because my my brain just doesn't like like if i had a rain on or whatever it bugs me if i have a necklace it bugs me i want to like fidget with it and stuff like that right like you know i can't like I don't,
0: most people... Most people get accustomed to the feel, the sensation of yeah. uh, like a bracelet on their wrist, but for you, like that sensation is is always present. Then
1: it's present, and then my brain's like, we don't like this. We don't. So like when I go out to bike bars yeah. and stuff, or I go out to clubs or whatever, and they put a wristband on me, the first thing I do when I leave that club is take that shit off. That is the first thing oh. I do. And it's like so. Yeah. It's the first thing I do. Or if I get a mark on my hand, if I go into a bar and they mark me at the door or like put a stamp? stamp on me yeah like a yeah. stamp the first thing i do when i get home is just start scrubbing my skin because
0: i hate Oh, that. for real yeah wait do you feel the ink in like seeping into your your skin it's cells not like that i <laughs> just know it's there
1: and i don't want it to be there i'm like my brain's like that's, that my brain's like that's not supposed to be there and we don't like that so it, it but it, like i said right it, it affects it's a this thing then yeah it not really, it's not even a clean thing, it's just oh. like, oh, I don't want, I don't need this anymore, and I never liked it in the first place, so let's get rid of it as soon as possible. But
0: yeah, interesting,
1: yeah, it's very right. interesting. So, if you ever see me out in public wearing a bracelet uh, it, or like a wristband or whatever, it's probably important. So, because like I'll wear stuff if it's important, like if someone hands me a wristband and it's like to help fundraise for someone's like uh cancer treatment or something mm. like that i'm gonna wear that i'm gonna wear that out for them i will override my sensory issues just for them so oh yeah but wow but yeah there's, a there's a, uh, there's a there's a lot done back there like i could go on for. honestly i i i don't like uh
0: i to go back to the vegetable thing i don't like to eat raw vegetables because i feel like it's just i have to to chew way too much i like much.
1: that crunch <laughs>
0: <laughs> i like the crunchiness of a carrot if, but... if it, in order for me to swallow it like comfortably i had to like masticate it enough so that like the particles are are small enough to slide down my throat mm-hmm. uh, otherwise i had to like drink water but if i don't chew like if i don't chew thoroughly enough it's almost like oh what if I? it's gonna make me choke is it so mm-hmm. dry and it's so like rough like the the carrot like, in broccoli i hate raw broccoli i can't eat raw broccoli it, it's like it's it's disgusting to me it's just i i would rather eat dirt honestly or <laughs> no maybe not but you know i just rather not eat, eat raw broccoli but but cooked broccoli with some salt in it oh yeah white like they're really good yeah but, but the vegetables
1: yeah. are vegetables are always interesting to see how they play out but Like, I I guess like backtracking a little bit, we got a little sidetracked, but but like backtracking a little bit with like Dave Chappelle, it's like he is talking about a community that he's not a part of. And like I said before, Mm -hmm. the best comics know that they're going to cross the line, but they got to be really good at it. Yeah. And I feel like in that last special, I don't feel like he was as good as he as he used to be, you know, and and that's fine. Like, you're not going to be like the greatest forever. Like, we see that like Michael Jordan got bad. You know, Kobe Bryant got bad. Right. Uh, Brett Favre got bad, and you know, like, and Joe Montana gets bad, and Tom Brady gets bad, and like, you know, the list goes on. I'm com- I'm using athletes as an example, but like, at some point, you will start to fall off. And I feel like Dave Chappelle with that last special, especially with how long he went on about like trans people, yeah. he really like it felt like he fell out. He's still funny. It's that's when you fall off and stuff. And especially like seeing that, it it hurt a little because he was such a huge inspiration. And now it's like, oh your your ogs are falling off what are you gonna do but i guess the difference like I, i'm comparing like uh apples to oranges here but like i broccoli's know how it's yeah broccoli, cooked broccoli raw yeah. carrots, whatever but
0: yeah. <laughs> now, don't you think though that like uh the dave chappelle thing and maybe a handful of other comedians the way he delivered those jokes is almost like he doubled down on the trans jokes after the prior controversy it is almost like a knee-jerk reaction resisting cancel culture because we we do live in a very fraught time especially i'm sure for for stand-up comedians feeling like they they're being restricted on what they can say on stage and what is allowed for them to say because it it seems to go against the spirit of comedy yeah doesn't it well
1: this is a conversation i actually had recently about like chris rock's new special Mm. and this is something that you see in some comedians that get really really big is that sometimes they lose base with reality and that's kind of a big thing about comedy, too, is like staying in touch with reality and making sure that you're not off in some fantasy land mm-hmm. or something like that, because that that's a really important thing is to have a ground base on that stuff. And when you're not based in reality, and this affects not just comedians, but affects everybody, It affects uh, athletes, it affects uh, musicians and actors and stuff who are not based in reality, and then they start to fall off that way. If that makes sense, so
0: yeah, famous people just live in a completely different reality because they go out. People know who they are. It's a different reality than the average person, and uh, yeah, maybe they're just not as tuned in, or is that what you're saying? Like, like they 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 just lose touch with humanity a bit. Yeah, they kind of
1: lose. You know, they lose that grounding like you know uh, that that grounding part of themselves it's like you you know i like to stay as close to reality as i can i don't live in a fantasy world i understand that all the things that are going on around me and being self-aware about things that are going on especially within society is when you mm-hmm. lose that base of reality is when sometimes you can just start to slip and fall off and as and even, like, if you're performing, you know, you could lose your audience members if you're just not based in reality. And That's a big thing. If you're not grounded, mm-hmm. like, it's not even about being humble. Like, you could be a narcissist, but if you, you know, if you understand the reality that's going on around you, it's fine. But that, that's the issue of, like, some of these comics now is just, like, with especially big names. It's, like, they're falling off because they're not connected to the reality of the situation, like, that's how I felt during Chris Rock's uh, latest special. It's like, it's like, man, this is not the same Chris Rock I saw, like, two or three years nah. ago. And this is definitely not the same Chris Rock from, like, a decade ago. So it's like, and, you know, things changed.
0: That slap changed. him. What a slap changed. <laughs> <A> different man. <laughs> Nothing was the same after that. I'm curious to hear your thoughts of a particular well-known. I would say he's more of a comedy actor. His name is Rowan Atkinson. Is he played Mr. Bean? And also, I'm actually, what's Mr. Bean's first name? Is Mister his first name, or like I don't know. that's a good? Is is his last name Bean? Or anyway, Rowan Atkinson. He has a, a very interesting take on this, and almost to me is like almost unexpected because he says the, here's the exact quote he says it does seem to me that the job of comedy is to offend or have the potential to offend and it cannot be drained of that potential every joke has a victim that's the definition of a joke someone or something or an idea is made to look ridiculous what do you think of that do you agree yeah there's a truth
1: to that it's like there's always like i guess like a center of attention but yeah some you know it's not every joke but there are there's always somebody that the joke is made at the made at the expense of and for you know for me i do some self-deprecating jokes so sometimes it's me sometimes it's an idea
0: in that situation you're making yourself the victim but it's played for laughs and it's you know
1: yeah, it's playing for laughs. I'm totally okay with making fun of myself. I do it all the time. I make fun of myself. It, uh, it doesn't help that I have self-esteem issues, but it makes it easier to write those type of jokes, too. It's like, these are great self-deprecating jokes, and it's easy because I just let all these cerebral thoughts run around in my head for a little bit, and then I just shake the punchlines out of them. But yeah. there's always... Somebody always has to be like the... Like you said, like somebody has to take the fall for the joke and and, you know, but that's not necessarily a person. It could be an idea. It could be some wild thing that happened. Like like I mentioned earlier, let's just say a Florida man story pops up. You're making fun of something that doesn't directly affect you, but you have thoughts about it. So you have direct thoughts on it. So at the expense of this one person, you are now telling this great joke about a Florida man. Because it happened, and you had the right thoughts, and you're landing
0: the joke, and it goes over so well. Florida man had it coming, though. He always does.
1: Oh, <laughs> absolutely! Well, Florida man Should've is going to be Florida man. So Florida
0: man gonna Florida man. Yeah, you might
1: as well get some laughs on the way. You can't stop <laughs> yeah, the Florida. Exactly. Man.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, what about California man? Is does, does California man feel a little bit like overshadowed by by Florida man? Because nobody talks about California man. Maybe he's just too busy. No, no nobody talks about new beach, beach or there. something.
1: Maybe, maybe who knows? But it, it's just a, it's a thing. Where it's like it, it's a good quote, but it's like it doesn't always have to be a person. Like you know, it could be a group of people, it could be an idea, it could be a social construct, like we talked about before. You know, or it could just be like yourself. You could like make yourself the victim right. of the joke. Maybe victim isn't the right word, right. but maybe the focus, like a target, maybe maybe the. Fo- the target the focus it's like that stuff too right because like people find people like comedy for like escapism and uh and realism which is like a big thing right yeah in comedy it's like people people like that stuff they either want to go see a comedy show because they need to get away from their everyday life but some people like going because they want to hear some truth right out of a person that's like really good at it and that's really comedy because with with comedy unlike most other art forms and stuff you don't have a band up there with you you're not doing a stage production or a theater production you are gonna have sets props dialogue and stuff mm-hmm. like that comedy is literally just you and a crowd of people yeah. and that is that is it so they want to hear some things they want to come away with some stuff they want to laugh they want to have a good time but they want to come away with something by the end of the show they want to remember something and have, remember that they had a good time about it too and sometimes that might mean you might make yourself, you know, the target of your own jokes and, you know, uh, put yourself at the expense, the expense of yourself to get some laughs. But it feels good to get those laughs when you do get those laughs. Because, mm, I, yeah. I do, you know, like I said, I do my autism bits, but I also have regular bits, too. Right. And, you know, it feels good to get those laughs. And when you do it long enough, you know when those laughs are going to come and that that's always a good feeling, and even though I know where the laughs are, it's still a good feeling, yeah, but but you do need to focus at the very least on your jokes because otherwise a joke a joke without any focus is just conversation. it's dialogue at that point there's there's no there's no focus, therefore, there's no like purpose to it. It's just nonsense words at that point, which is why which is why important at every joke has a punchline. Mm-hmm. You know, like you could do, I think there's like a, it's a family guy cutaway bit yeah. when Peter Griffin was just saying, he's like, he's like, oh, I was a stand-up comedian who only did setups and he was, and it's this bit where he just does these setups and he never finishes the jokes. And I was actually a little pissed off yeah. <laughs> during that cutaway because it was just so frustrating. It, it, it's very much a tease at that point. It's like, you know, it's like, all right, come on, like, but that's also the point of the bit. that's also the focus of the bit too is the setup and stuff there's a lot of like i guess like meta humor in that too where it's just like an outside look and an outside look and an outside look
0: yeah it makes me think about like the way jokes are cleverly constructed or like uh intentionally like everything that you say like every sentence every word counts right and and i would assume that the order that the words are said so i guess something that i want to ask you is do you memorize your routines do you just have like the the basic jokes in your mind or or, like how much of your routine is like word per word what you wrote down prior
1: so like everybody has a different method on how they write jokes and how they get ready for shows and stuff for for me i i don't like to write word for word when i first started out i wrote word for word and it was terrible and then I have to remember that I'm like, I'm not doing theater. Yeah. Right? Like, you're not doing theater when you do stand up comedy. You're doing stand up comedy, which means that you need some room for flexibility because it needs to be conversational.
0: Right. And, and that separates it from spoken word poetry yeah. performances. Yeah.
1: Like, they're it needs to be conversational. Like you feel like you're having a conversation with your, you with a friend at like a bar at a party, or if you're just grabbing coffee or something, you know, that needs to feel conversational at that point. For me, right. I,
0: like a one-way conversation.
1: It basically. Like, it's no different than I'm like, yeah. yeah, it's no different than listening to a podcast per se. Haha. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meta. <laughs> it's, like, it's
1: being part of a conversation, but not being allowed to say anything, but you're okay with that. But Mm -hmm. for getting ready for shows and stuff i try to memorize as much of the jokes as i can like because but Mm -hmm. i've but i go to open mice and i practice so much that these jokes just become ingrained in my mind that i don't need to write them down and stuff
0: like second nature
1: yeah like it just it just kind of kicks into gear and you just kind of let it flow out of you right there are there are some comics who like have like um notes and stuff on stage like especially like if you're doing like an hour of material and you're like recording an hour special and you know what jokes you want to go in there you need to know where those are going but sometimes mm-hmm. you need cheat seat, uh cheat seats and um that that's important like, that's like okay. a set
0: list of like a band would oh band yeah, would have a set list. i always
1: write down before i before a show like i think if i'm doing a show I'm thinking about the set list a few days out and then practicing on those jokes and then getting ready to do those jokes. And by the time that show comes around, I'm ready to do that show without any notebooks or anything, which mm, is which right. is a really good feeling. The first time you could do that it is such a good feeling. Like The first time you can go five minutes without a notebook and you know what you're going to do, it feels so mm-hmm. good doing that. for right. the first, It feels so good to just you know that's a lot of hard work paying off there it's like you memorized it it may not be exactly what you thought word for word but it still lands and that's like the important part there
0: yeah as long as it's coherent right and as long as you know what you're saying is still still makes sense uh but like i guess it would be a good time now to to talk a little about a bit about my intro which was for the people who might not be familiar was kind of a a, a spoof or, or like a parody of George Carlin's bit called Modern Man and I think that's that's a bit that he opened up like a special with and the way he he says it it's it is it sounds like a spoken word poem and and so clearly like every word was clearly written out prior to the point where like not it's like a word was misplaced the the whole flow of it would be off right and like he's, he's like i'm a modern man i'm like a like a he he continues with so many like uh contradictory or like oxymoronic uh statements about like describing the modern man and it's it's so funny and and he's just one of my he's one of my favorite comedians uh, living or, or dead, and uh, yeah, like, do you have anything to say about that? That kind of like because it doesn't seem to be all that common for uh, a stand-up comedian to just go off on, on that kind of spoken word, even especially as an introduction. Uh, whereas like other comedians that you're saying you're like have a more conversational, casual tone, and 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 yeah, I guess I also want to add quickly to the end of this question: Who are your Uh, favorite comedians and and are these are these comedians the same comedians you feel have influenced you as a stand-up comedian yourself so i i think with like
1: when you do a special like a big special like that that's a totally different ballpark compared to just regular comedy and stuff like that because when you're headlining your own special like a big special like that you can do whatever you want at that point that, that's something where it's like that is completely in your control. You can dress however you want. You can say whatever you want. You can do it however you want. And that that all boils down to like creative control and stuff like that. So with George Carlin doing the modern man bit at the beginning. He could do that. It sounds like spoken word poetry, but it's very funny. You know, like yeah. it, it's a great yeah. bit. Uh, George Carlin has a lot of great bits like that. Yeah. So like, you know. But when you're doing all these specials and stuff like you could do whatever you want. There's a reason why uh, the the I'm trying to blank on his name, but the machine was such a popular bit. And that's why Brett uh, gets to not wear a shirt to every show he does, because that's what he gets to do, because. Oh, uh, Brett, Brett Kreischer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because he does the machine. I find that like,
0: I find that's, like, it seems to me like a bit of overkill, because like. I mean, I guess that's his thing, his his trademark, but it's just so distracting that this dude is like doing stand up without a shirt on, and he's on Netflix, like he has a special. But he is he is very funny, like he don't is get very me wrong, funny. But, yeah, but yeah. It,
1: it's just you know when you headline like that, you could do whatever you want. You know, that's that's kind of the thing about comedy. It's like you can do just whatever you want. But I guess in terms of like influences, it's like yeah, George Carlin has had an influence. I mean, but I think he's had an influence on a lot of people because a lot of people are like, hey, that's the OG right there. Like he has so many specials. It's ridiculous. And, you
0: know, well, it, it, I it was going to of- say that, like, uh, on the topic of like Bert Kreischer performing without a shirt, like maybe you uh, can push the envelope. Maybe in the future, like the social constructs will, will have evolved to the point where it was it is socially acceptable for you to do a whole stand up comedy routine completely new at a beach maybe <laughs> yeah I,
1: I love how you keep bringing back up like the nude thing i'm like i'm not a nudist by any means i just <laughs> i just think about things i would rather be doing but that's a good one but i'm sure yeah. there is like nude comedy somewhere somewhere uh if mm. somebody was like hey you want to come do like uh, nude comedy at this nudist colony or whatever, I might be, I would be open to it. I would be very, right. <laughs> I would be open to it. But right,
0: yeah. Would yeah, you I- as a as a non nudist though? Would you be? Would it be socially acceptable for you to make nudist jokes? Because you're not you don't identify as a nudist. You're not part of that group. No. But if I got
1: invited to a nudist beach and they're like, yeah, you can perform comedy. We'll pay you well. But you have to be nude. Of course, I'm going to make fun of it. It's a very (laughs) it's a very funny situation. And sometimes all you can do is just kind of laugh at yourself in the situation you're in
0: i feel like that's a, a gold mine for jokes like cause i am sure a lot of nudists are have like a lot of funny situations happening every mm-hmm. single day you know and, yeah. there's, there's also no concept of like walking in on somebody naked because they're like oh that's just how they their default <laughs> that's state. just you how it mean? is they're just like yeah.
1: you just walk in and it's like oh uh there's there's brett hi brett like you know? <laughs> <laughs> right it, it, but yeah. uh yeah, I guess in terms of like influences, like yeah, there's the OGs like George Carlin. Uh, Richard Pryor is a really good one too. He has like a great energy. Eddie Murphy is another good one too. And then I get later like Dave Chappelle. Earlier stuff was really, really big to me. I remember as a as a kid, my dad would let me watch the Dave Chappelle show, uh, when I wasn't supposed to at all. I'm like nine oh, or yeah. ten, and he's a, 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 you know, I have divorced parents, and my dad was like, he's like, I'm gonna be the cool parent. I'm gonna let my son watch all these things he's not supposed to because that's what my dad did when right. i was cool his age yeah the cool dad it's like oh i'll let you watch these it's cool it's totally fine <laughs> so that influenced me early on but as i got older uh comics like Ali Wong, uh john mulaney uh mm, there's certain yeah. things i like from like different comedians like Ali Wong just has a great stage presence and, mm-hmm. like, a great energy, and I just love watching her stuff. Uh, one comic that I really enjoy is uh, Sam Morril, who is a much who who's a comic with a lot of dark humor, but he does it so well. And he's great at crowd work, too, which makes it oh, even yeah. better. He's not a comic who's like, oh, comedian destroys audience and member, heck, or he's just be like, he will be like, hey, watch this. And he just goes on this, like, two-minute tyran with this audience member talking back and forth, so... Like, there, yeah. there's influences I take away. Like, uh, I mentioned John Mulaney. I think John Mulaney, like, he has a certain energy to him and the way he tells mm-hmm. jokes that, like, yeah. I like. Like, he's not, he's not always the best and he's not always my, like, top. Like, he... He's one of my personal favorites. He's very clean about what he does, but he just his delivery on some of his stuff is great. And that's what I go and watch him for. It's like, how are you going to finish this joke? How are you going to deliver that punchline? And there's just there's just different influences I take from a lot of different comedians and stuff. It's like there's certain things I like. Like like I mentioned, like, you know, crowd work is like a big thing that draws me the people, but also but also maybe the way you delivered a joke, maybe the energy you bring mm-hmm. to the stage. Maybe it's just the things you talk about, because I want to hear you talk about things. Like I said, uh, Chris Rock, I watched uh, his most recent special, and then I watched the special before that. And you can kind of notice, I noticed that like during the new special, I'm like, hey, this wasn't even like tambourine. Like, what is going on around here? Mm-hmm. Right. There's just so much. There's a lot of different ways to do comedy. There's no right yeah. way to do comedy. The only right way to do comedy is to be funny and you know make people laugh and that's really
0: it. Yeah i feel like in terms of like mainstream stand-up comedians that i i'm aware of uh i'm kind of missing like those uh like one-liner comedians like uh mitch Hedberg. he was my one of my all-time favorites uh rest in peace but like uh also like i think Stuart francis is is his name like he just does uh a bunch of like one-liner jokes or or like self-contained jokes that don't lead into each other and is this that that whole conversational aspect of, of stand-up is completely thrown out the window uh and maybe i'm misremembering but i think doesn't a- uh, anthony jeselnik also have that that style as well or, or some something similar to that
1: i i think so i think they have a similar style in that degree but
0: i, I like that because like uh, they, they they pull it off like it's it's very unconventional but like yeah i mean sometimes I just like to listen to like just a bunch of jokes that are unrelated but are are really just good, well-written jokes on, on their own. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I also, I guess I want to ask you like, has stand up changed the way you live your life? Like, are you more open to gaining new life experiences and meeting new people for the sake of like getting new material? And I mean, I know it's not so- the, the only, uh, like the only reason why you would, you know, I guess have a, a that lust for life, but like, yeah, has it, changed the way you live in any way yeah it, it, it has because it's
1: like comedy is like it's not even just comedy i'm always down for an adventure i like having adventures i like having stories uh there's a reason why i have so many stories and stuff i like traveling i like meeting new people and i like having new experiences like i've studied i i've gone to ireland for like 10 days to do a study abroad trip uh, i've gone down to florida in 24 hours uh, driving a hundred thousand dollar vehicle. And I, in college, I got drunk and started to ride at a pizza shop. Like, you know, I have all these life influences wow. and I have all these stories and yeah. And that's, that was before comedy. And now that I'm doing comedy and stuff, I'm able to go up and do jokes and, you know, be able to share my experiences and people really like that. So I'm not always just doing comedy just to get new material. I just happen to get mm. new material along just the way. Just living life. Just from living life and like there's there's I bet every person has at least one person they know in their life who's just like a really chill person who has a lot of great stories and they're just fun to be around. And, Mm. you know, that's who I strive to be on and off stage. I try to be as authentic as possible uh, and just being myself, because when you're able to just be yourself and, uh, you know, live your truth, sort of speak. You know, life becomes a lot better that way. It's like when you put your foot down, you're like, I'm not gonna be influenced by the things around me, but I want to influence the things that are around me. Like I want to have my influence kind of leak out and change the way and change my surroundings. And that can happen. And I think that's really, really important for people. Is just just like be true to yourself. That's it. So like when yeah. I, when I was like, I like being a storyteller, but I love doing stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. you know i i'm just being true to myself and that's really it like
0: i, I think that's that's something that people definitely respond to is like authenticity and, and re- relatability um but yeah like, uh, but isn't don't most comedians or i don't want to say most but like there's an idea of having a stage persona right and and that being something distinct from from who you are off stage
1: yeah, th- that's totally fine. Like I said, there's no there's no one right way to do comedy except for, you know, uh, except for, you know, get laughs, make the audience laugh and do a good job. That's really it. So you got these comics who have a stage persona and, you know, that's fine. Whatever you feel like is the right way to do comedy, you can do that.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: just a matter, you know. It's just a matter of being true to yourself because people can tell when you're not being authentic on stage, they can sense it. Even if they don't say it outright, they can sense when you're not being uh, real with yourself and to them because they don't want to be lied to. Like there's a certain level of, of escapism for them, but they want a certain level of reality too, and realism and authenticity. So that's really a big thing too. But you know, like I said, with like bigger names and stuff, you have these bigger names with stage personas, and that's perfectly fine because that's who they want to be on stage, and that could be a separate entity. But as long as you're being true to yourself, it's like, this is who I want to be on stage, then that's completely fine.
0: Right. to to round things off i kind of wanted to talk about the things that we like the the uh the after school special lessons that we learn as as kids like the idea that uh like you be yourself and you know people will like you're like the the girl you're taking on a date or the guy you're taking date is a little like you if you just be yourself you don't try to pretend to be anybody else but also we get we we, we get told when we're younger that we can be whoever we want to be in, in this world. And I think to tie it back to what we opened up with or we talked about in the in the first part of, of this podcast is that's something that as I've grown older, reaching adulthood, especially going through universities, like that's not really true. There's like the world, the workforce is, is changing for one. Like there are a lot of uh like degrees and, and majors that aren't, Pursued anymore simply because they they aren't deemed profitable or or uh practical or you know like especially the humanities especially art even like people have there are a lot of people who have dreams of being uh an artist or uh you know an an actor or even a stand-up comedian and then they don't pursue this because again like they, they for whatever reason but it's almost you know it, it does it does throw some doubt on the idea that you can be whatever you want to be in this world and it's 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 a, a very harsh reality to accept or or to even just you know like it's a harsh reality because it feels like you're, you're disillusioned and then uh like you've been lied to almost you know
1: yeah like i guess to just kind of wrap it up nicely here um this idea that like you could be whoever you want to be and that could take on a lot of different forms it could be something about your identity it could be something about what you're passionate about it could just be you know anything like you know you could be whoever you want to be but you have to find out who that is first before right. you can go after that and some you know and it's very easy to influence kids into believing certain things about themselves that are not necessarily true. So, you know, I encourage people to change, you know, change the things around them. If they're not happy with stuff, change them. You know, maybe you need to move away and like get some different world experiences. Or maybe you should go to school, even though you're going to be going at a later age, because that might change you. You need to bring challenges to your norms and then see if the norms in your mind stayed the same at that point. Because mm-hmm. I challenge myself, it's like, when I was like going through college and stuff, I kind of challenged myself. It's like, let's learn not just in the classroom, but let's learn from life itself and get life experiences. And that that's been really important in my uh, development, not just as a comedian or anything, but just as a person. And, you know, like I said earlier, your brain doesn't fully develop until you're like 25, 26 anyways. So just go find out who that person is. Mm -hmm. And then maybe by the time you're done searching for who you truly are and start living your true life, then you could really pursue your dreams because dreams affect everything. It affects your career. It affects your passions. It affects the people around you and stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. So, yeah,
1: I, I always encourage people. It's like, just find out who your true self is and then you can be yourself and then go that way. And sure, everything takes time.
0: Mm-hmm. and you know tomorrow's
1: yeah. not guaranteed or anything but if you act like tomorrow's not guaranteed you'll you will find that things change around you very suddenly and usually for the better
0: right yeah it puts you more in the present moment and it just helps you appreciate life as is what you have right now what's within your reach what you can perceive and in the future is just some abstract thing that well we can't really control it and we can't really well we can only we can plan and prepare for you know if the worst comes to worst but yeah it, that's that's definitely true that you know like it's it's just it's important to to remember uh memento mori and uh and also destiny like yeah i like the phrase of, of a date with destiny because it is destiny like a singular being that that goes on dates with multiple people or are we all tangled up in some non-monogamous or polyamorous relationship with destiny that none of us consented to or i I guess we have our own version of destiny right so you know i i think we do what if it stands you up or ghosts you or something
1: yeah i i think like well i think it's important to like you mentioned the 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 future and the present and the past like it's important to live in the moment and live in the present but also it's important to keep your eyes downfield too so to speak Like, it's important to, like, keep your eyes open, like, see what's coming towards you. It may or may not affect you, but it's important to keep that, too. And the past is the past. It's already been done. That's the thing. It's like whatever's been done is done. You can't change it. But that doesn't mean you can't change things that are going to happen in the future because the future is ever changing. So why not just make changes for yourself? Because then by the time you get to that date with destiny, you know, you'll be ready to pay the bill.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, well in in conclusion though, uh, I wanted to regurgitate that that question is like when is the right time to pursue your dreams or to pursue your destiny? Uh, like what can you say about that given uh your your pursuit of stand-up comedy and like what advice can you impart to the listeners that that might be in a, a situation where maybe they're they're considering uh pursuing something but for whatever reason, are feeling some kind of resistance to that.
1: Yeah. Um, the best time to pursue your dreams is uh yesterday. Oh, like, <laughs> is yesterday. Everybody says Whoa. the time is now. I'm like, no, act like it was due yesterday and start freaking out, I guess, so to speak, to light that fire. Right. But like the, the ur- urgency, right? right? Like, there's that urgency, but don't, you know, in all honesty, like you can't panic about it because things take time to happen. You're not going to be the best spread out the gate. Some people might be progressing faster than you are, but you got to remember everybody moves at their own pace Mm -hmm. and you have to remember that. It's like somebody, especially in comedy, some people are, or, you know, pick it up quicker and they get booked on shows and they do these bigger venues and stuff. That's okay. But if, if you feel like you're behind and stuff, you just, you know, you got to keep grinding away at it. Like, cause dreams, only become reality when you work towards it. Like if you try it once and you're like, Oh, you know, I, I, it's so far away. I can't do it. And I'm like, then you haven't been trying enough right. to make the dream, the reality.
0: And maybe they're just looking too far into the future. And maybe they should take, the the zachary haynes approach of going just decade by decade you know what i mean like <laughs> decade
1: by decade
0: <laughs> yeah i sometimes i feel like
1: decade by decade is too much i literally take it a day at oh a yeah time. that's all you can do a day at a time because yeah. it's like you know
0: because tomorrow isn't promised
1: you, you can you know like tomorrow isn't promised just take it a day at a time because you don't know when tomorrow's will stop
0: yeah and who makes it all the way to 100 nowadays anyway You know what I mean? And
1: uh a lot of people, I guess. But I guess we're (laughs) we're living longer lives, like you will have time, but that doesn't mean tomorrow's guaranteed. So I guess I guess the make the answer short is that you should start thinking about it now and but when you're going for it, act like it was due yesterday. So that way you're doing the most that you can to say at least you're trying your damnedest and when the lab, when the fruits of your labor are shown, then then you can feel good about yourself. And like I've only been doing stand-up comedy for a year, but I have a lot of life experience before that. If I started to do it at 18, I would probably be in a different spot now than I am now. But I'm okay with starting with when I did because you know, there I put myself in a position to get to that point. <laughs>
0: gets to tie it all together i i still find a lot of comfort in the belief that everything happens when the time is right or everything happens when it is supposed to happen and you know it, it ties into this like eastern philosophy i think it's it's a Taoist concept of like Wu Wei of like uh non-action but again that that seems to contradict the idea of Taking action to pursue your dreams, but I think it's it's all about balance and it's all about yeah, take it a day at a time because the world can end tomorrow. Who knows? Who knows? We don't know. That's that's the scary part
1: about it. We don't know, but who cares at that point?
0: But yeah. <laughs> so anyways, thanks for coming on the podcast, and uh, I, I'm just gonna like let you have this airtime to plug yourself if you want to or to maybe give some final thoughts if you want to do a quick comedy bit maybe or or even like talk about the 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 riot that you started at the pizza parlor i wanted to ask you about Uh, that but but i think it's uh maybe (laughs) it's for another time i'm sure that's a story that's a
1: story for another time yeah if you want to learn more about that pizza riot story uh you're gonna have to follow me on social media that's gonna be a requirement because i am working on that bit right now oh nice you can follow me. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram uh, at underscore comic zans. You can find that on all the social media. Uh, Great handle, Instagram, by the way. Instagram, Twitter, and uh, thank you. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. <laughs> uh, you can find on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, those are the best places to find me. And then slowly you can learn more about that right at, at a pizza shop. And yeah, I don't really have any more to say. Uh, thanks for having me on. There's
0: the, a the pizza shop bit is is that already up on your instagram or like you said you're working on it or like workshopping it
1: Still working on it so it, it's a longer bit so i'm taking my time with it
0: okay it's something to anticipate then i, I can't wait to hear it because that sounds like a great story but like comic on comic zans or comic zans, zans. <laughs> it's, zans. it's like the it's zans, like the yeah.
1: font comic sans but it's just zans it's yeah
0: a little pizzazz if you will <laughs> okay i like it i like it though like I, I, and maybe there's another comedian out there who has the instagram handle of like papyrus russ or something or <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, anyways yeah thanks for coming on the show this was a really fun time thanks for having me See so you a modern man in and Comic Sans? Comic Sans? Comic Sans. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>